Hello, and welcome to another episode of Boundless Body Radio. I'm your host, Casey Ruff, and today we have another amazing guest to reintroduce to you now. Anna Paulich is a returning guest on our show. Be sure to check out her first appearance on our podcast on episode 94 of Boundless Body Radio. As a health scientist and nutritionist, Anna Paulich is on a mission to help women cut through diet industry BS and achieve a bulletproof relationship with food with her signature Fat Brain Fix Mind Body Transformation Program. By shifting away from the traditional nutrition approaches to fat loss that lead to metabolic slowing and hormonal havoc, Anna solved her infertility issues, resulting in two amazing children, and lost over 65 pounds that she had packed on during the stressful years of parenting and professional life. Using a scientifically proven neuronutrition framework that focuses on undieting the mind by removing old thoughts, patterns, and beliefs, she helps women lay the groundwork for metabolic healing and sustainable fat loss. If you would like to kickstart your journey, you can download her eight simple rules for fat loss at www.annapolich.com. And those eight simple rules will be the topic of our discussion today. Anna Polich, what an absolute honor it is to welcome you back to the show. Yeah, I'm excited to be here. I'm excited to host you. I love your content. I love your content. You do such a great job um, on Instagram primarily, and, and you make everything looks so approachable and authentic. Um, recently you had a video, um, that you made, which I thought was so well done, which is all the thoughts that you think to yourself when you're at the gym. And I'm going through thinking about all the things that you're saying. And I'm like, I think all of those things when I'm at the gym, I suck. I'm not going to be able to get through this. Is that person staring at me? What all these people are uber fit and I'm not like, like, it's so authentic. I love it. Yeah, I, I loved making that. I just wish that reels gave me a longer time because I have so many more thoughts when I'm there, but I, I, I honed in on the ones that most of us have. Yeah, totally. I think all of us can feel those things and, and not even realize that our self-talk is so poor when we would never say the things that we say to ourselves to other people. Like imagine saying some of those things to like your kids or your partner or whatever, they, they would never happen. That's what I say. Like, would you say that to your best friend? Or if your best friend said that to you, what would you respond? Right? Because that's what you should be responding to yourself. Yeah. Totally. And, the, and the truth is at the gym, no one is looking at you. <laughs> Everyone is worrying about what they look like or what they're doing. And so it's funny that we worry about that. Yeah, a hundred thousand percent. Uh, in one way, I'm very, very grateful for the pandemic because the pandemic was the one thing that got us out of our big corporate job at the big gym that we were working at before. And if you if you aren't familiar with the kind of like suburbs of Salt Lake City, like it is very much the housewives of Salt Lake City. Like this is this is the area of town that you need to have like full makeup to go to the gym. Uh, you need to have like new Lululemon outfits. You can't wear the same one twice. Like that is very, very much a thing around here. And so whenever somebody would just come to the gym and they would just be in their normal, like gym clothes, we would always just tell them like, look, everybody is so obsessed with how they look. Nobody's looking at you. You're going to be fine. So yeah, we, yeah. we found that to be the case too. Yeah, yeah, so true. So true. Well, that's awesome. Well, before we deep dive into some of your content, I would love to hear a little bit of your story that we kind of mentioned a little bit in the introduction. You've got a very interesting story with health. And then again, in one of your more recent Instagram posts, you saw kind of a before and after and you've really gone through a transformation. Yeah, you know, I, I, all my life have struggled with, you know, dieting and then binging. So essentially that binge restrict cycle um, through my teenage years. And I always felt like I was, you know, 
the largest um, girl in the class, even though like I go back to those pictures and think, man, <laughs> if only I looked like that right now. But I feel like, you know, most women go through this struggle. And um, yeah, so it wasn't, you know, I, I tried every diet, like, you know, anytime I'd see a commercial or an infomercial, I'd order the supplement, I would sign up, I spent probably, I don't even want to say out loud how many thousands of dollars on different weight loss programs. And I was still overweight. And I actually, um, you know, later on was struggling with fertility issues. And um, I went to a clinic out of province and the physician there um, had suggested that before we try anything that I change my diet. Um, and I thought at that time I was, you know, eating a pretty healthy diet, right? So what is the definition of that? We're not sure. But um, he talked to me about insulin resistance. And um, I was like, what is what is this guy talking about? Like he's saying to go low carb. And, you know, I had never really looked into that. And this was, you know, in 2011 or wow. so. So keto wasn't really a big thing at that time. It was starting to come into the mainstream. Um, but I did all sorts of research on it because that is who I am and I need to do the research first. Um, and I was like, he's onto something like this makes a lot of sense. Um, so I started changing things. He actually recommended South Beach at that time, mm. uh, which I found was, I don't know, for some reason, my brain couldn't like attach to that one. I bought all the books, of course. Um, and so then I started researching low carb and keto. And that is, um, you know, that changed my life, essentially. Um, so I started on that path. And then I went on to have um, two healthy kids. I had all sorts of symptoms from autoimmune thyroid disease that were resolved. Um, and of course the side effect of weight loss, which I was searching for all my life. Yeah, <laughs> so that's amazing. Wow. And 2011, you're right. Like there wasn't a ton of information out there. So where were you getting your research? You know, I was like, I was the stuff I was finding at that time was like the, the old studies. Cause there are studies from back in the day, right. Um, that they use the ketogenic diet for other health issues. Um, so I started reading about like insulin resistance and I found like, you know, there was some practitioners that were ki kind of talking about it. Um, and then I ran into um, another like keto coach. So um, I started following her content and following some of the links that she was posting and um, yeah. And then of course, you know, behind me, <laughs> I have all the books, <laughs> but you know, as they came out, like it, it was just so fascinating and such a, a big missing link that I, I thought, you know, the whole, the whole topic of insulin resistance in itself, right. Just how it progresses and all these people, by the time they have type two diabetes are, are, so far gone when they could have made those changes years prior. Yeah. It's so sad. And it, it is shocking. Like once you get into the, this world and you do your research, you're absolutely right. There is a ton of studies and they are not new studies. Some of them like hundreds of years old. And like, you're, you're almost like, like wh where did this go? Like, how did we miss this in plain sight? It makes so much sense to dig into the research, but, but like, it's almost like all the studies are almost like ignored. 
Yeah, it is. They are. And, you know, I, I, I went on to uh, become a nutritionist because I felt like, you know, the credential would help me to help other people. And through my nutrition school, none of that was taught. Like any of the papers that I wrote on like low sugar, low carb, I felt were graded a little bit lower than they would have been. Right. Um, but yeah, it's still like none of that. There's not even like one chapter that talks about the benefits of that or, you know, insulin resistance or testing fasting insulin levels. Right. So, right. It's completely missed. I mean, I'm, I'm looking at my textbook behind me, a nutrition manual. It's 500 pages long. I have to redo the test every two years to stay accredited as a nutritionist. There's literally yeah. one sentence that explains ketosis. And it like, it sounds like a good thing. It's like, this is the state your body's in when it's burning fat as fuel. And that's like all it says. And it's like, what, how do expound on that? That sounds like a good thing right yeah like yeah how do how do you burn your own body fat that's what we all want to know that's what we all want to know yeah (laughs) Yeah. totally thinking back on the diets you were doing before does anyone stand out as being like particularly like ridiculous like did you do like a cabbage soup diet or some like weird master cleanse or something oh yeah i did I did the cabbage soup, you know, no and way. it's funny when I think back to the structure of that, because you would have cabbage soup every day, but then each day you had something different, like bananas and milk only with your cabbage soup, right? Wow. Bananas and milk. Like think about that now that you know what you know about insulin resistance, right? So you could eat all the bananas and milk that day. Um, and then the next day it was like, you could eat, you know, beef or something like it just cycled through some weird foods. Um, but I did contemplate the beef jerky and diet Coke, um, diet. That's a diet. That is a diet. And (laughs) if you think about it, it is kind of leaning towards ketosis, right? That's crazy. (laughs) Not, not clean ketosis, but, um, you know, it's, uh, yeah, there's some weird ones that's for sure. Crazy. Wow, that's crazy. And to know that like this year when they do the annual, like the best diets and the worst diets, ketosis is going to be at the bottom for sure. A ketogenic diet will be at the bottom, 40 out of 40. And and some of these like really obscure diets that you've like never heard of or nobody's talked about for like 30 years are going to be like 15th or 16th or something is ridiculous. I know it's, it's amazing to me. It's so crazy. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. When people get into this state and they start losing fat really effectively and they feel satiated all the time and their energy goes up, it's like, well, now we can't really profit off of you. So, um, you know, it, it really doesn't benefit anybody besides the person who's feeling way better to be in that particular state. It's really sad. Yeah, it is. It is really sad. And, you know, even most physicians would tell you that they don't get any training on that. So if a physician actually wants to learn about that, they will go off on their own and study it just like I did. Right. Um, But I have heard like some local physicians will say, and they will tell other patients to, or other physicians that if their patients come to them and want to try a keto diet, who are they to stop them if it is safe for them to do so, right? Yeah. yeah. Because they really just, the, the eat less and exercise more, just it works until it doesn't. Yeah, that's right. right. That's absolutely so, right. 
Yeah. And God bless those doctors who, who do that work and take that effort and like really understand that, okay, my career was helping people. This isn't working. I need to find an alternative because doctors are put into a system and it's very, very difficult for them to get that information. They don't have time. They only have a few minutes with their yeah. patients, at least here in America, they spend so much time with the charts and like insurance rules and all this stuff. And so it's very hard for yeah. them to do their own research. And so we're so grateful for any doctors who are able to step out of that and see what's really going on and find different information. Totally. Yeah. Wow. Agreed. Wow. Well, that's awesome. Well, as always, you are very generous with your content. Um, by signing up on your uh, website, I was able to access the eight simple rules for fat loss, which thank you right off the bat so much for calling it fat loss, not weight loss, fat loss. Those two things are very different. I would love for you to comment on that. And, and yeah, I would love to have a discussion today around your eight simple rules um, about how to achieve fat loss. But first of all, again, why did you decide to call it fat loss and not weight loss? You know, it's funny. It's, it's really interesting because everyone comes for weight loss. That's just what diet culture has taught us that the scale is the be all end all. And when you reach that magical number, your life is going to suddenly change and be like fantastic. Right. And fat loss and weight loss are so different. And I always tell my clients that weight loss is not an indicator of total health. Right. And, you know, that number can fluctuate. Like I could jump on the scale right now, do nothing and when we're finished talking, I could go jump on the scale again. It would be completely different That's right. because that fluctuates. And when you, you can't tell me that I gained a pound of fat in the time we were talking today. Right. right. But at the end of the day, it's, we want to change our body composition. Really? We want to go to the gym. We don't want to go, Oh my gosh, that mirror. We want to go, Hey, look at me in that mirror. Right. But the scale doesn't tell you that. The scale can tell you so many different things, whether you're dehydrated, whether, you know, you're bloated, whether um, you're, you know, it's that time of the month for women, like it changes so much. Um, so ideally, we want to lose body fat, not muscle. Um, and that is what we're looking for. So you have to look at more than just the scale, yeah. right? Absolutely love that. I think both of us have had clients that will complain after a few weeks of like, oh, I haven't lost any weight. This is terrible. I can't believe this isn't working. I mean, I do have better energy. My mental clarity is better. My clothes are fitting way differently. Like I look different in my before and after picture. I'm just not losing weight. I'm complaining about it. Like, okay, it's it's definitely working. You're doing great. This is why we love using um, body fat scales as well to show people yeah. that not only are you losing actual fat, which is what most people care about, but also that you can maintain and increase increase muscle mass at the same time. I mean, most of our personal training and nutrition coaching certification says that's absolutely not possible. We see it all the time. Yeah, I know. And I, I always bug the women in my program. I, I say to them, like, are you going to carry the scale around in your purse? So when you see your friends, you can hop on it and say, look at my number, right? Like, what are you doing with that number other than messing with your head? Right. Yeah. So it's something that I, I help women come to make peace with, right? Instead of letting it make or break their day because that's what we were taught, right? We all went like cattle into the Weight Watchers meetings and stood in the line and got shamed if, you know, it was up 0.2 pounds. And, and that's the other thing, like the 0.2 pounds. I've had clients that were like, oh my gosh, like I've been so good all week. 
maybe they haven't, but you know, they, they've been so good all week and it went up 0.2 pounds. I'm like, remember when scales didn't even have decimal places? Right. That's a really good point. Like, so 0.2, like, so technically if you, you had one of those old school scales, you would have stayed the same. How would you have felt about that? Yeah. Right. So totally different mindset. Yeah, for sure. Mm. Well, I love the way you frame it and you call it your metabolic mastery manifesto, which I love, which is the eight simple rules. And I'd love to go just one by one and start with what I would consider if, if I had to order them, I would probably order them the exact way that you did. And I would start with protein, make protein the queen. I absolutely love that. Why did you start with that? Why do you lead with that? Um, you know, like I've done my own, um, okay, first of all, I'll start women in particular under eat protein, like by far. And I was one of those people where I was so addicted to carbs and, and, you know, food like substances that, you know, I thought, you know, the, (laughs) the pepperoni and the pizza pops was enough protein for the day. Right. So, um, starting with protein, I guarantee will change your life. Like protein I'll ask people, you know, how, how much protein are you eating? Oh, I'm eating tons of protein. Okay. Calculate it for me. I just want to see right for one day. And if I say like between hundred and 150 grams, most women are around 70 to 75 grams. Wow. Yeah. They're at about half of that protein also. Okay. First of all, you know, you want to keep your muscle. Um, but it also helps with, um, dulling a blood glucose spike. If you're having any sort of real food carbs after, um, it helps to, um, dull that. So I always say, um, protein is your salad. So I don't care what you eat after, but you have to eat your protein first. Mm. So literally like in a meal, you're eating the protein very first. Yeah. So yeah, you can put whatever you want on your plate, but I want you to hit your protein target first. And most of the time people won't be able to eat you know, go protein, veggies, fat, and then whatever, if you put French fries there, for example, most people won't be able to eat as many French fries as they hoped they would. Yeah, I agree. I remember hearing that advice too. And so like, oftentimes my dinner will be a mix of maybe, you know, I might have some leaner protein options. So maybe some, you know, chicken breast or maybe some sirloin or something. And I'll also include, you know, fattier cuts of meat in that dinner. But I will literally start with the protein rich ones that are lower fat, because if I go for the higher fat one with the protein, I will become so I won't be able to get enough protein in that meal for what I feel like I need. And so I think that's really great advice. Yeah, you have to really, um, you know, do exactly that is when you prioritize your protein, make sure like you're, you're efficiently eating it so that you're able to get that in, right? So you pick those ones and, and fat is important. Like you said, the fattier cuts of meat, again, diet culture has taught us to like, eat turkey bacon and ground turkey and all those like lower fat, um, proteins, but don't be afraid of fat. Yeah. Like you need that. Your brain needs that. So thank, thank goodness that we know what we know about fat today because turkey bacon was so gross. I'm so glad oh. we, we got to leave that yeah. in the past with like brown rice and, and like way yeah. too much broccoli or something. <laughs> 
even you know what like I tried ground turkey for a while and sometimes you get a good batch but sometimes you get a batch that tastes like dog food and at that point I would just rather eat the ground beef right but people are scared of red meat and higher fat do you you notice that with your work with women do you notice that a, a lot with women in particular Yeah, you know, it doesn't take long for diet culture to creep back in too, right? So like at first they're trying it and all of a sudden you see, you see people start under eating again, like restricting again, you really have to keep an eye and, you know, it's like the dry chicken breast and the, you know, like all the, that's why we don't like protein because we were taught to eat those things, right? So That's a really, really good point. I think introducing some of those foods that we thought were terrible for us, getting them back in the diet and really appreciating them and letting them make you satiated is such a great step in the right direction. So I love the protein recommendation. Do you have a a specific recommendation for the types of protein you want people to be eating? Yeah, like, you know, most of the women that come into my program are are meat eaters. So I'm a meat eater. you know, I, I recommend eating meat in my program. So any like, you know, red meat fish, they can eat chicken if they really <laughs> like it, but I'm not an expert in, um, vegetarian diets. Yeah. Yeah. I had to kind of do the same with my career. Like I know enough about them and, you know, veg- vegan and vegetarian, you know, ways of eating. I know about them, but I know enough to know that like, I can't really coach somebody on that. That's just not something that I do. Like if you're looking for that and you're coming to me, I'm probably going to direct you somewhere else because I, what I, whatever I would give you is going to be nutritionally deficient. And I just don't know how to get around that at this point in my career. Yeah. You know what my experience with, uh, being a vegetarian was actually ironically when I was in university, it kind of came into the mainstream where, you should cut out meat at that time. So my friends and I would go to the bar and after we would go to Burger King drive-thru. Do you guys have Burger King? We yeah, do, yeah, just do. right down the street. Yeah, we would go to Burger King drive-thru and we would get a Whopper with extra mayo and no patty. What? Yeah, that was that was our vegetarian diet. That wow. was healthy. Wow, <laughs> that's amazing. So, you probably don't want to come to me for a vegetarian diet. <laughs> That's amazing. That's hilarious. I was just thinking the Burger King down the street started offering Impossible Burger, you know, maybe like a year or two ago, and they went whole all in to the advertising on on Impossible Burger, and it was all over the outside of the restaurant, and I don't see any of that anymore. So I'm wondering, even with plant-based, you know, patties versus no patties and extra mayo, um, if, if that just was not like a financially viable option for them. It's really interesting. I can only speculate. Yeah, well, that, that kind of leads nicely into my number two. Yeah, perfect. Um, Perfect segue <laughs> on my thing because I talk about um, well stripping the garbage right and getting rid of processed foods and and processed food carbs. But one of you know the things I tell people is to just eat real food. And a lot of times we don't even know what real food is. Like if you say that to someone, sometimes they look at you and they're like, "What kind of you know abnormal food is she talking about?" Right? And I'm like, "Well, food without a label." ideally right so meat and veggies and low low glycemic fruits um but um if you eat food with a label i always say try and eat try and eat foods with less than five ingredients on the label 
So that's hard. That's limiting. Like people are looking like just, I say, okay, for this week, you know what, let's, let's do this. Let's, you know, show me what you find, right. When you pull it out of your pantry or whatever. And, and it's really hard to do. And on the note of those, um, like vegan burgers and stuff, if you look at how many ingredients are in those, right. It's insane. So you would be like way over the five, five ingredients on the label with those. So I, I challenge people to do this. That's crazy. Food without a label or less than five ingredients. Yeah. I mean, they look like your introduction, which took me like over a minute to read. They're literally like can be that long with words that you can't pronounce. And it's funny, like if you've been doing this lifestyle, this way of eating for enough time, you, you kind of forget, you almost take it for granted that like, first of all, like even shopping at a store for your food can be a little bit of a revolution these days. Most people are like ordering Grubhub for all their meals. And secondly, like you use the middle part of the grocery store to transition to get to the areas of the store that you want to get to. And you forget that like all of these things on these shelves, you you called it food like substances. There's no better way to call it that. This is not food. This is not food. I'm sorry, but it's, that's the reality. Yeah, it's engineered to make you crave it and want more, right? And and labels, like not only reading the ingredients on a label, but like reading the actual label. I was actually talking to some clients last night about, I saw this sugar-free cake and I was like, oh my gosh, um, sugar-free cake, like, of course I'm going to buy this, right? But when you actually read the label, it's sugar-free, but it's not carbohydrate-free. And people like people fail to remember that carbohydrates turn to sugar right in your body. So especially if you are insulin resistant or have type two diabetes or pre-diabetes, that is dangerous marketing. Yeah. Right. That could get you in a real pickle. So that's right. No, they are very, very good at what they do. And that's what they're supposed to do. They're supposed to sell food. This is a capitalist environment. They're they're not trying to make people healthy. And when you walk by a box of cereal that says it's heart healthy American, um, you know, American Heart Association says this is great and it's high fiber and low calorie and low fat. Like, I'm sorry, these labels are are deceiving you on purpose. They're, they're, they're confusing you and, and trying to show you that this is what you should be eating when it's, it's not food. Yeah, exactly. Wow. Well, I love the term garbage. I'm love, I love that you use that, but, but it's like you said, when you were talking about your own story, you suffered through a bit of a carbohydrate addiction, some sugar addiction. And, and so how, how do you recommend that people strip the garbage? As you say, like, how do, how can people actually get that out of their diet? Yeah. So I think really that it goes back to rule number one is to start with your protein and Um, you know, if you actually prioritize your protein first, you realize that you're like meeting your needs at a cellular level. And so when you go to eat those carbs at the end of your meal, they're, they're just not as appetizing as you initially thought if you put them at the end. And slowly as you do that, you realize that, you know, you actually don't need those. It's just kind of reprogramming as you go on. And even, you know, like I talk about like the lesser of two evils where you substitute different foods or, you know, just to try and wean yourself off some of those high carb foods. And eventually those substitutions don't hit the brain 
like the high carb foods, right? So your brain kind of rewires and the cravings become less and less each time that you don't give it that full hit of dopamine, essentially. Yeah, I'm so glad you pointed that out because I think for for the listener who who this may be like new to, they'll think like, I'm there's no way I'm gonna try this because I love my chips, I love my cookies, I love my snacks and my granola bars and whatever. I promise you, I promise you, yeah. that will change. You'll give it enough time and the foods you think you can't live without now, if you give it enough time, they will be disgusting yeah. to you. It just, it, it takes a little bit of work. And if you start moving in that direction, you'll learn that over time. Yeah, that's exactly it. I know so many people say, oh, there's no way I could give that up or there's no way I could eat that much protein. I don't like protein, right? And just as we make those tweaks to work in that direction, eventually they're like, oh my gosh, I really thought you were crazy. Um, I can't believe, you know, the changes I've seen. Totally. So. Totally. Even things like fruit become like almost overly sweet if you get them from the right sources and, and they hit those spots like where most people like a piece of fruit is not sweet at all because they're consuming so much, so much sugar. And this is where yeah. this is another really good transition to your next one. Don't fear the fat. This is where the fat in conjunction with the protein, I feel like is so important. Like if you are yeah. fearing fat and you're trying to eat protein, you still need to get your energy from somewhere. And so those carbohydrate, you know, kind of addictions will continue for a while unless you start, if, at least in the beginning, ramping up the fat and not being afraid of fat. So tell us a little bit about why it's so important not to fear fat. Yeah, like I, you know, as we went into the low fat, um, you know, diet generation, that's where all our problems came from, really. But I find that fat in general, um, like it fuels us, right? And ideally, we want to live off and eat our own body fat, which is why I, I always say to my husband, don't worry, you're not going to starve if you didn't, you know, if you don't eat in the next half hour, trust me, I, I know you won't, right? But so in the beginning, when most people are transitioning away from carbs, they increase their protein. And like you said, it's important to increase the fat. And at first you may be eating more fat than your brain is comfortable with um, just because we're used to that low fat movement. But as things even out, um, your body starts to learn to pull from your own fat stores, right? And that tapers off and things you like the macronutrients that you're ingesting eventually balance out because the human body is so smart and it, it will tell you what it needs if you listen to it. The problem is we're taught to ignore it. Yeah. So um, we really have to tune in. And this doesn't mean, you know, like I back, you know, when reels started, I think my very first reel, I was, you know, pretending that I, I didn't get my fat macros in. Right. I I've seen so many of these posts and groups like, Oh my gosh, I still have 20 grams of fat to eat for today. What, what can I eat? Right. So I was like, chugging a bottle of olive oil in my reel or whatever, trying to get my fat macro in. That's not what that means, right? Like you, you have to really listen to your body. Um, and fat is so important for satiation along with protein, as well as most of our cell membranes are made of fat. So, you know, 
we've been really starving our body for many years. Yeah, totally. I think when, when I first got into this, you know, you learn the acronym LCHF, uh, low carbohydrate. And, and I always took it to mean high fat. And I'm glad that it's been yeah. pointed out. I think it was Dr. Der- Gary Fatke who pointed out to me that like it, it's HF, but it's healthy fat, not necessarily high fat. And you need that fat early on. But, but like I said, like I, I remember, you know, back in 2017, 2018, when I started incorporating this with my clients and getting a text from one of my clients that was like, well, I didn't hit my fat macros for the day. So I just drank like, like eight ounces of olive oil or something. And like really yeah. thinking like, um, okay, that probably wasn't the best thing to tell you to do. Yeah. So you won't hear from them for a couple of days. <laughs> they'll, be the they'll be in the toilet. Uh, and, and on that note of healthy fat, that's like healthy fat. You know, we, we, I don't know when it changed. I think it was in the low fat movement. Like let's eat margarine instead of butter. Like that's insane, right? Margarine is not the right choice. Um, you know, canola oil, vegetable oil, like when we talk healthy fats, we're talking, you know, olive oil and avocado oil and coconut oil, like healthy fats. So just changing the fats that you eat will help with inflammation in the body, number one, Yeah. right? So we blame the fat, but it's actually the type of fats yeah. that you're ingesting. So important, right? so important to point out. I just got off the phone with my client who has been eating more and more healthy over time and, and she's gone to kind of more low carbohydrate. And over the weekend, she um, ordered one of her favorite meals from the past, which was like some kind of risotto with a protein. And not only was there way more risotto than there was protein, like the chicken that came with was way less than whatever she remembers. But she said yeah. like now that she's cut it out, she could taste seed oils. And she described it as being rancid. And it's like, no, you're absolutely right. These are rancid oils that we have invented. You need to go back to what grandma did when she kept the bacon grease on the stove. Like that's a yeah. good solid, you know, cooking fat that you should be using. We always used to use those cooking fats. And now we just invented all these vegetable oils that have no vegetables in them. Not a drop comes from vegetables and it's ridiculous. Yeah. They're in everything. I know. And it causes so much inflammation in your body, right? Like people don't realize that alone is, is a huge, huge move towards better health. Yeah. I love that advice. Okay. The next one makes me a little sad. Ditch the alcohol. Can you tell us why that's so important? I, you know, it's, I always say like some of these things, you don't have to think of them as forever things, right. But just to be aware that alcohol is processed like sugar in your liver, your liver really can't tell the difference. So even if you're drinking a low carb, cause you see the marketing for all these low carb alcohols now, right? Like God forbid they lose all these people drinking alcohol. Um, but alcohol also causes sugar cravings the next day or, you know, the Burger King drive through nights um, for our healthy vegetarian whoppers. But, um, you know, that that's like the sugar cravings that come after are a result of your body processing it like sugar. Um, so when you are trying to reach your goals, my recommendation is to ditch the alcohol or like very limited, right? But be aware that, you know, it's not really great for 
you know, when you're trying to reach your goals. Yeah, I know. I think that's a really good idea. And I think that's healthy for most people to do. Uh, I, I, it's easy to get habitual with alcohol consumption. I think just taking a break sometimes is a really decent idea. Um, has that been in, in your experience with, with the people you coach, is that the easier one than, than cutting out the garbage or which, which one of those two seems to be uh, more difficult for you? You know, I feel like they've been equally difficult for my clients because we live in a culture where both crappy food and alcohol are pushed on you in social situations. And we've we've become people pleasers, I feel like. We all just want to fit in, especially now with social media and stuff. Everybody, you know, wants to fit into that social circle. So everyone's scared to say no. So we think of different ways to like hide that we're not drinking or, you know, tell them we have a stomach ulcer so we can't eat the donut or, you know, so instead of just saying no, thank you. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, so I find those are equally as difficult in the beginning until people gain that confidence and you only gain that confidence by repeating that habit. That's, right. Yeah, that's a great point. I think if we go back to the gym, you know, analogy that we gave earlier, like if you realize that when you say no, thank you, most people really just don't care. They don't care that much yeah. about you. They care about themselves. It's okay. You can turn those things down and most people won't, won't care. It's fine. Yeah. Or in their heads, they're thinking, man, I wish I could be like her where I could say no to that. Right. Right. Like, right. right. So You're providing an example. Actually admiring you. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So that's a really, really good point. Okay. So I love your next one, reverse diet. You mentioned all these wonderful diets you've been on in your life, including the cabbage soup diet, um, which I think is hilarious. What, what in the world is a reverse diet? Yeah. So I, like we talked earlier about most women who come to me are still really restricting calories. And they're worried about how many calories and that's that word, you know, it makes me insane sometimes because again, the scale and calories, those are like swear words in my, (laughs) in my dictionary, right? So I just feel like we, we're taught to ignore hunger. So we restrict our calories in an effort to lose weight. And in turn, we're breaking down our own muscles and all sorts of other things, but it's really just, you know, eating more. It's, you have to eat more to get things moving again, because as you restrict your calories, you're tanking your metabolism, right? So you, oh, let's go on the 1200 calorie diet, right? Everyone was on 1200 calories. Yeah, you can lose weight, but then all of a sudden it stops. And then what happens? What do you do? Okay. Well, your body gets used to that 1200 calories. So let's go to a thousand, right? And okay, that starts working again. And then it stops and then, okay, well, let's go to 800. Well, how far can you drop that, right? Until your body's saying, hey, like, I better hold on to everything I got here because this woman's not going to feed me. So we actually, you know, eating more protein is the first step. I get women eating more protein, tuning into hunger, right? Not ignoring it when it comes, but answering it like you mean it. Like, Oh, you know, I think I'm a little bit hungry. Let me have this piece of cheese. No, that's not how we answer hunger, right? You're going to put it on a plate. You're going to sit at the table. And if you're not hungry enough to eat that plate, you're not eating. Uh (laughs) So I think, you know, that's, that's a game changer for most. And they really don't realize either 
how much they're under eating, how much they can eat and still lose weight if they're eating the right foods and how much they nibble during the day. Yeah. Yeah, that's a really good point. So I, my career back at the big corporate gym for over a decade was using a metabolic cart. And so you're talking about metabolism and increasing or decreasing metabolism. I saw it all the time. Like we, we got the cart to be able to validate these things with people. And I needed, I needed the data and the numbers for so many years, but once you kind of established a pattern and you, you could recognize it, you don't need the metabolic equipment to identify the people that have already shot their metabolisms. Like you could walk up the stairs and look like you're cold or look like you're retaining, you know, body fat around the midsection, even if your arms and legs were a little bit lean, if you felt like you were really moody, if you um, always got sick, colds, if you were going through menopause early, like those are all really good signs that I already know, like you definitely have a history of dieting and restricting because that's causing your body to burn less all the time. Yeah. Yeah. It's so true. Yeah. There's some people that like, you've done so many diets, go, it's like, go eat a hamburger, go do something to start to increase that metabolic rate. And once you do your body, like as it thinks about calories, which drives me crazy as well, you're teaching your body just to burn more calories by yourself on your own every single day without doing anything differently. And you describe that, you know, 1200 calories, thousand calories, 800 calories. How, how long can you keep that up? It's like the example I'll give is like, it's like being on a treadmill that's always speeding up. It's always ticking upwards. And like, how long are you going to be able to be on that before things spits you out the back? I know exactly. Cause at the end of the day, we are not overeating calories per se, but we're overeating the wrong foods. That's really what it boils down to. Yeah. So, yeah, because during the day, like, you know, I know it, I can restrict my calories all day long, but the sun goes down and, you know, I'm like eating everything in sight. Turn right? into a grizzly bear in your own kitchen. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Everyone's gone to bed. They'll never see me, you know, but the perception will be that I stuck to my diet, even though there's, you know, cheesies wedged in the couch. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so- Totally. And then that same person thinks that they're a failure because they tried the diet. It's not working. They're still having tons of cravings. It's like, you just, you you just needed to tweak things a little bit, focus on the fats and proteins in your meal to be really satiated and all that stuff will start to fall away. Yeah, exactly. If you can get the hunger under control, then everything will fall into place. Yeah. Totally agree with that. And I love that you start with that with your clients. We do the same thing and we get really good results that way. The next one down does have to do with that other part of the equation. We've talked a lot about food. Let's talk about your next one, incorporating healthy movement. I just want to point out, first of all, I love that you called it movement. You didn't call it exercise or workouts. So why did you use the word movement very deliberately and what things constitute healthy movement? Yeah, so I feel like, you know, movement is different for everyone. And we tend again, to compare ourselves to other people and, you know, running on the treadmill is the only way to lose weight because that's what we see people doing. Um, but you know, some people who are not moving at all and just get up and walk for five minutes could change their life. Right. But I, I personally think that, you know, walking and strength training for women is the best um, because I often um, experiment with people who let me experiment with them and I will make them wear a blood glucose sensor and have them go do their 
high intensity cardio and then send me screenshots. And sometimes their blood glucose can go as high as if they ate like a giant chocolate chip cookie. Um, because the stress on the body, and then of course your body is pumping out glucose to try and account for, because we're used to burning sugar, right? So your body is like, well, she needs to burn some sugar. I'm going to make some sugar. And then you have all this insulin rushing into your system without going into too much science, right? When insulin is present, you're storing fat, not burning fat. So you're spinning your wheels essentially on the treadmill running for hours and then it makes you more hungry, you're eating more. So just walking, stress-free, actually tuning into your surroundings, which we never do because we're always thinking about, oh my gosh, when I get back, I have to do this, I have to do this. But actually just really taking it all in and strength training um, to help move the glucose into your muscles, into your cells um, is ideal. And as you have more muscle, you burn more fat. So it's great. Yeah. So vitally important. Could not agree more with you. I think walking is the best practice that again, kind of came out of the pandemic when all of us had to stop and take more time for ourselves and decide how to live our lives. Uh, you know, trying to get out and walk several miles a day is just, it's so wonderful. You realize the only tweets that really count are the tweets from the birds in your neighborhood and you get to know how the seasons change and you get to know that, you know, the areas of your neighborhood and, and that type of movement. It's just, it's so primal. It's what we would have done throughout or evolution. I think it helps with digestion. I think it burns a tremendous amount of fat. And it sucks because most people, they don't have that association that walking could be the best thing for them. Their association with fat loss is doing this really hard class and really getting after and being a hot, sweaty mess. And it's like, yeah. you got to work out and you definitely sweat, but you, you're not doing the things that are going to give you the result that you're seeking. It's just a workout. Yeah. And the effects on cortisol, like you said, going out and really just spending that time in nature, I would do that with my kids. And I would say, okay, tell me some colors that you see, or tell me some shapes that you see, right? To really get them honing in on what's around us instead of staring at their shoelaces while we're walking, right? And that's something as adults, we definitely need to do more of. And again, that lowers stress levels, and that helps for overall health. Yeah, that's awesome. My wife and I will sometimes play I Spy in our neighborhood and we're like, okay, I found a teddy bear. Where can you find a teddy bear around the lake? Like it gives you something to kind of like look for and do. It's a fun little game. Um, it is. It's great. <laughs> it's so great for women. Okay. Especially women when they hear strength training, I think we're getting past this, but there might be still some assumptions for most women. Like I don't want to strength train because I don't want to get bulky. What do you say to that? <laughs> Yeah. Good luck. Good luck. <laughs> I've been trying to get bulky. Um, it's not as easy as it looks on, on the, in the movies. Right. So I think, you know, strength training, especially as you uh, progress in age, we're preserving lean muscle mass, you know, toning up. But again, the, as you gain muscle, you're actually helping your body burn fat. Um, so your metabolic rate increases. Um, so once, if they start getting bulky, they can come back to me and, you know, get their money back. <laughs> <laughs> I'm guessing you don't give out many refunds. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Just doesn't happen. But I thought that too. Yeah. I thought that too. I thought, no, the only way to be skinny is to run. And I hated running. Yeah. So the cortisol from running and then the cortisol from hating running was just 
you know, a disaster. Terrible combination. Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah. The, the gym that we worked at had it kind of separated. Like you'd see the cardio machines on the one side and then you'd see the strength training machines on the other. And I've mentioned this before, but it's like on the cardio side of things, I would see people temporarily, so not long-term, but temporarily, they would be a slightly smaller version of themselves. Like they, they would weigh yeah. less, but the shape would be about the same. And it would only be temporary because you were literally causing the best conditions to gain weight and to gain fat. And it's just a matter of time before that person is off the diet and they're gaining fat. They're all having yeah. to do with what you talked about with metabolism, what's going to happen. Where if you look at the strength training side, those are the people, they would change their shape and it would be more permanent. And it's through the strength training that you get that. And I, I, I don't think most people really appreciate that it takes the strength training and not just the hard workouts, the running, the elliptical, all that stuff, you know, doing something you don't enjoy watching CNN or whatever, like it's terrible. It is terrible. Just walk. And I think on that note too, like I have been doing strength training and, you know, I have my own issues with the scale, of course, you know, and after years of, you know, trying to unwind that and helping clients through that, of course, it always kind of surfaces. And, you know, I've been, you know, doing strength training for, I don't know how long now, say nine months or whatever, like focused. And I gained 10 pounds, Wow! but I haven't changed sizes of clothes, clothing or anything. But when I went on the scale, I, I thought, what the heck? Right. And I had to like stand there and talk to myself and go, okay, like, you know, seriously, but that's that diet culture that's ingrained in us. And I feel stronger and healthier and more lean and toned. And, you know, my mood is better, but then you jump on that scale and it, it messes with your mind totally. and it has nothing to do with all the progress I've made. Mm, so totally. Yeah. That's such a good point. I absolutely love that. We're talking about like movement and healthy movement. Kind of the opposite of that would be sleep. Don't skimp on sleep. Love this one. Tell us why that's so important. Yeah, like sleep is, you know, when your body is regenerating, also you're fasting while you're sleeping, so you can't eat while you're sleeping. So it's probably good to incorporate some of that um, for those grazers. But that quality sleep, you know, you need it to be rested and ready to go for the next day. And so many of us um, don't realize how little sleep we're getting, how much we're scrolling on our phones before bed, right? I was guilty of that. Um, that blue light that's blocking that really deep restorative sleep. Um, it's just so important for immunity, for health, for, you know, everything like your body, that is the time where your body is, you know, doing all the great things in the background because you're not stressing and moving and eating. So yeah, that's absolutely so critical. I do want to talk about your last point as well, which is prioritize yourself, which <laughs> you're a mom. <laughs> How in the world do you prioritize yourself? You know, I think this is like so important, especially for moms or for women. Um, when we talked about this, where we seem to try and please other people all the time, right? We're always taking care of other people. We're trying to please other people. We want to look like a superhero. I can do it. I don't need any help. But when you come to terms with, or you just try it one time where you say, you know what? Like I'll say to my husband, 
I just want to go for like a 30 minute walk by myself. I don't want to take the kids. Right. And you do that and you realize how good and refreshed you feel mostly in your mind. When you come back, um, you're able to tackle things even better, but we don't do that. We're always, you know, more concerned about other people than ourselves. And this is a huge thing. And I hear it all the time, right? People, you know, even when they're coming into my coaching program, oh, I don't know. I don't know if I have time for this. I don't know. That's, it's your life, right? You can't take care of other people if you can't take care of yourself, right? So um, I think it's very important that we um, change that, right? Speak up for ourselves, even if it's 20 minutes a day where you, you know, tell your family, tell whoever, I'm just going to go have a bath. I'm going to go for a walk, any of that, um, because it's so important. Yeah, that is so important. And we, you're right. We do live in this culture where we, we always feel like we have to be like laying on the sword. Like our kids are not going to be okay if I'm not like helicopter parent around them all the time. And you know, that, that wasn't really the case when we were growing up, like you could go out and play and do things and who knows what mom and dad were doing, but it, it's really tough. I always think of like the, the oxygen mask kind of analogy, like in a plane, like if you don't have your own oxygen mask on, you can't help other people. And, and, I yeah. think we get so short-sighted with that with our culture is we we always want to be the hero. We always want to be doing things for other people at our own expense. And you can't do that forever. Yeah. And it's, you know, I was, I was, you know, doing this all the time where it was like, no, I don't need any help. I can do it. Or, you know, my husband would say, do you want me to help you with that? No, I'm good. You know, like for some reason, it's like, we just, we don't say it, we just do it. And then you know, then you start building up these feelings of like, I have no time for myself and you start getting miserable and, you know, angry. And, and it's, it's like a relief when you actually prioritize yourself. Like I said, it doesn't take much to just give yourself a break, yeah. right? Focus on yourself. It doesn't mean you're letting go of everything you're doing, but you do need that time like sleeping to re-energize. Yeah, sure. And I like the way you approach it. It sounds like you are approaching it by doing some really simple things. Like maybe if it's only 10 minutes, 15 minutes, 20 minutes, something that's enjoyable for that person. Is that kind of where you start to make that more of a mindset shift? Yeah, exactly. Like it doesn't have to be big changes, right? That's what I find, you know, when you're kind of making all these big changes at once, then you just become overwhelmed and you quit, right? But if you can just start at 10 minutes, right? Like, I'm just gonna go walk to the end of the street and back and have some thoughts by myself. That's all you have to do. And eventually you realize how much you enjoy it. And it just becomes a little bit more and more. As you gain that confidence in asking for what you need, right? Then you repeat those behaviors. Yeah. It's like a dog. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, no, that's a really great point. I've used this example before where like when step trackers got really popular and we were doing like contests to see if we would get more steps, I started getting into the habit of parking at like the furthest spot I could find in a parking lot. And that was like yeah. 11 years ago and I haven't stopped. I still do it to this day. I think it saves me time. It gets me more steps. I get to be out in the fresh air and sunshine. And that was a simple, stupid little habit that I started forever ago. But think about that, that one little habit compounded over those years. I just wonder like how many extra miles how much extra time outside how much less stress not trying to fight for the best parking spot like it's crazy how, how these little habits can compound over time yeah it's true I got my son has a 
like a Fitbit or like a step tracking watch. And now we compete against each other. And he's like, he's like a crazy uh, trainer. He's constantly, <laughs> we have one on my dad too. And he'll be like, okay, grandpa, you know, you gotta, gotta pick up the pace today. You're a little behind here. <laughs> so I'm wow. like, okay, it's good though. It's good for them to have a little bit of competitive spirit. It gets them in those good habits, right? I love that. Yeah, I absolutely love that. As we're talking about prioritizing yourself and we're talking about some of these habits and making them long-term, I think both of us kind of recognize that, that yeah, if you start down this path, I don't think you're very likely to stop because you're going to notice so many of these benefits. But how do you use um, you know, this kind of mindset shift to help people prioritize themselves for the long haul, for the long journey they have ahead of them kind of staying in this realm of low carbohydrate or ketogenic type eating? Essentially, everyone has to start somewhere. We take like simple steps, right? So it's like one thing at a time. Um, again, we talked about the hunger, um, taking care of the hunger first, right? Once you take care of that uncontrollable hunger, you can move into other changes in your life more easily, right? So you can start incorporating the healthy movement, you can, um, you know, build those better habits with nutrition, move on to all of those other things to prioritize yourself, but it doesn't all have to happen at once. Um, and I think that's the key is really, you know, I talk a lot about like root cause metabolism. So healing that insulin resistance or under eating or, you know, increasing your protein, but that's, you can do that short term, but really dealing with that root cause of mindset is what you need for long-term sustainable fat loss. So all of those other, you know, micro shifts, I like to call them where you're incorporating, prioritizing yourself. Yeah. Well, I, that's what I love about your program. And I love about your content is that, yes, these are eight simple tips. I, I, I love the way you phrase that. I'm glad you didn't call them easy because these might be difficult. It doesn't mean they have to be complicated. Like they yeah. can be very simple, but they might not be easy for people. And so picking, you know, one or two that really resonate with you and, and keeping the, the rest kind of in the background and, and in mind, but knowing that you don't have to tackle all of these at once, I think is very helpful for people. Yeah. And, you know, just pick one. And most people like, you know, kind of call me out on the protein thing. That's usually the first one, right? I've had even family members say, oh, I eat a lot of protein. Okay, let me know. Like, I'm curious, right? How much is a lot to people, right? So start with that or the just eating real food, right? See if you can eat food without a label for an entire day or with less than five ingredients, right? So people challenge themselves with stuff like that. We're all very competitive. So um, but it's just making small changes that build up over time. Yeah. I love that. I'm so, <laughs> I'm so intrigued by the five ingredient thing. I'm like, literally I've got to go to the store later today and I'm going to go count how many foods I can find that have five ingredients or less. And my guess, just kind of thinking about this, I'm probably not going to find very many. Yeah. It's really interesting to do because you don't realize like how many ingredients are in things. It's wow. just, it's, 
Crazy. Wow. Yeah, that is crazy. Yeah, that sounds like a fun project for me today. Um, well, this has been yeah. such a fun discussion. And again, I just I really appreciate your content and how you were able to bring this to people in a really helpful and authentic way. Um, I, I think it's 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 difficult, again, to hear all of these different eight steps and, you know, have people thinking like, maybe I'm failing at all of these eight things. And it's like, no, you're not failing. You just need to be aware of these things. Start to address whatever things sound simple to you. I'm with you. I think the best starting point for most people is to get out of the hunger cycle. You're hungry. You're hangry. Like you don't know anything different because you're eating what everybody else is eating and everybody's feeling that way. So you think it's normal. Let's just feed you as many eggs as you can eat or as much steak as you like and eat at until you're really, really truly not just full, but satiated. And I think that's the best starting point for people too. Yeah, for sure. And it's, it's definitely interesting. Um, for your brain when you start to do that, because you're used to doing things and it feels really uncomfortable at first when you feel full without eating the French fries. Yep. Right. Then it's almost like, oh, wait a second. Like, but I want to eat those French fries and you almost have a little inner temper tantrum. Right. But you feel good and you have to really talk yourself through some of those moments. Totally. But Totally. And it's like you said, if you start down this path, you will not miss the things that you think you're going to miss terribly. That will go away. Have faith in the process and you'll get through to the other side. And it's absolutely wonderful when you do. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That's awesome. Anna Pollitt, this has been such a fun discussion. Tell our audience where people can go to find you and connect with you and your work. Yeah. So, um, you can always find me at www.annapolich.com. So that's where you can find information about my, um, um, program, which is called the fat brain fix. Um, and I can also be found on Instagram at fat brain fix, um, which is where I post all my fun reels that you can, <laughs> um, watch about your thoughts at the gym. Um, so those are kind of the two main, main places. I also have a free Facebook group. Um, it's called mind body flex, um, that you can join, um, to learn some tips and tricks for fat loss, both with metabolism and mindset. That's awesome. We will definitely link to all of that in the show notes. I'm just thinking like you do such a great job on your Instagram and I love following you and I love seeing the videos and you're definitely like, like you've got a, a good enough like understanding of Instagram. I would mistake you for like a 13 year old girl or something. You do a really <laughs> good job with your reels. I am constantly like trying to figure out how to post good content and it's, it's always like way too long or not relevant or whatever. And it doesn't look as good. Your stuff looks really good. You do a great job. Uh, thank you. It takes it takes time, but eventually I have so many ideas that by the time I get the ideas out, the trend is gone on the reel. <laughs> <laughs> totally. You got to really be Johnny on the spot. I was just listening to somebody in the low carbohydrate space lament the fact that they like they, they would be so creative with their posts and and it would be an awesome post that would get like two views, but like the, the top thing that people followed that had hundreds of views was like a, a double double without the bun from in and out Burger or something. <laughs> Yeah. And recipes. People yeah. love recipes. So it's, funny. It's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> so funny. Well, thank you, Anna, so very much for coming on our show today. We really appreciate you and your content. Thank you. Absolutely. And this has been another episode of Balanced Body Radio.
As always, thank you so very much for listening to and supporting Boundless Body Radio. It has been such a joy to go on this journey now that it's been two years of doing these episodes and all the amazing conversations that we've had with thought leaders and to be able to share this message around the world with literally hundreds of thousands of people has been so amazing. If you haven't already, please go over to Apple, leave us a rating and review as it's the best way for the show to continue to grow and touch more lives of people out there. I am so excited to announce that we are launching the Boundless Body Radio Premium Podcast. This is something that I have been working really hard at for a very long time and something I am very proud of. Now that we have done over 300 episodes, our content can be a little bit overwhelming if you really want to learn about one particular topic and really zero in on that topic. So that is exactly what I have done. I have gone through all of our episodes, taken the very best clips all about one particular topic and put them into long form very informative and concise episodes called the Boundless Body Radio Premium Podcast. That can be found on our brand new Patreon page, which I'm really excited to announce as we have all kinds of different offers there and different tiers. We're including early releases of our show, Boundless Body Radio. We typically keep about 15 to 20 episodes scheduled at any given time. So we have options there where you can have early access to those. We are also offering group and one-on-one coaching and also access to these premium podcast episodes, the Balanced Body Radio Premium Podcast. We have three that are launching right now, and I will be making a new one every other week. And we believe that we are providing these for a very, very high value. So please check us out on Patreon, check the link in the notes to be able to get there. And thank you as always for listening to Balanced Body Radio.